Hello and welcome to Loopholes, episode 30, your weekly discussion podcast about all things esoteric and esoterotic. I'm Kate Cheryl, hello. I'm Ian Bellsworth. And this week we've got a hell of a lot of comments to plough through. Yeah, two weeks to combine. After last week's Matt Ebb special. So should we plough straight in with those? I'm happy to do that. Do you want to be yours first? Paul Kenny says, When I die, if I have to live through a part two, I'm going to be so bloody annoyed. Which I think is a sentiment shared by many. Kind of universally across mine. Yeah. But that would be part of the course, wouldn't it? That my lot would think that and your lot perhaps think differently. Well, no, I was quite surprised, really, with just how many. Again, I just don't get the logic of it. I don't get why that's yeah. a more preferable thing to lack of existence, full stop. Yeah. Unaware of it, just gone. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd be interested to know where the, where the split is generally. PJ says, I used to know what happened to human consciousness after death, but I forgot to write it down. Forcing myself to remember is making it harder to recall. You'll be the first to know when it reoccurs, but please, until then, don't put plans on hold. Just crack on as usual. Thanks, Good. PJ. Do get in touch when you do don't remember. Don't text someone to tell them that you're going to text them later. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you, PJ. Yes, thank you. Sophie Cleverly said, I do wonder how a belief in the afterlife can be reconciled with a belief in ghosts. Would that mean ghosts are souls trapped here forever and can't move on to whatever's next? A very depressing thought. Or... Are ghosts just like the echo of a soul, the bit left behind? And out of curiosity, has anyone in the real world ever claimed to have freed a ghost and actually moved them on to the afterlife? Well, just as a nod to a lot of paranormal TV at the minute, a lot of shows seem to end with some kind of moving on of the spirit, which in itself has brought on a bit of an ethical debate about the autonomy of said ghost that may or may not exist. And also, if you're saying you're doing that in a building that prides itself in being a uh, like a paranormal venue for hire, then in saying that you're just casually removing the spirits and moving them on to the next life, they might be uh, removing quite a lot of trade from that business's future. Well, it's also a plot device, so for TV shows to work on peaks and troughs and actually reaching a conclusion, oh, yeah. it's a plot device. And you have to have a plot device when the actual existing plot hasn't made any sense. Absolutely. You've got to get somewhere with it, because otherwise people will go... Hang on, this completely contradicts itself. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. Well, then um, uh, well then we are now going to move it on to heaven. So that's the heaven people all happy, and that's the ghost people all happy. Yes. And we'll cross any other contentions as and when they come by making something else up. I hope that answers your question, Sophie. Tango of the Robes says, I personally struggle to see the value in the promise of an after-death reward. In my view, they suffered, but it's okay because heaven isn't far away from I made slash allowed them to suffer, but it's okay because heaven. I think as humans we feel the need to dress everything up as a story. We don't like sad endings and seem to tag on a they then died and lived happily ever after. The mill worker living a daily struggle didn't need to look forward to heaven. They needed workers' rights. If their daily struggle was worth it in the end, then there's no reason for anything to change for the next generation. Um, I think that's a very good point. I think it's the same way that a lot of cults, secty type groups work on that benefit of this way of living is good and right, even if it puts you in a terrible position, because it's what God intended. Well, we have a trope-based existence, so again, that's a, um, a matter of convenience, isn't it? Be mm. Because that's what's being said in order for people to behave in a certain way. Like I'm sure the, the well, there are the huge arguments for it being a controlling thing, but even on a more general scale. The trope-based existence that we have is one of, if you work hard, you will do well. If you're nice to people, this will happen. You know, it, it, it's all, if you do this, you will get this. So we work on a trope reward system. So mm. we speak about reward in pretty much everything that we look at. 
yeah. from a philosophical point of view. There's always some debate or some promise, I guess, in some instances, of our reward. So if you are a good person, when you are alive on earth, you will go to heaven. If you are not, you will go to hell. Mm. If you behave yourself, Father Christmas will bring you presents. If you don't, Father Christmas won't bring you presents. It's a pretty straightforward system, really. But I think, personally, I think it's unnecessary. I don't need that. I don't need to be told, I will get something if I am just decent. Yeah. I'm quite content just being decent. Of course, you'll have frustrations with work. If you do a lot of work and nothing comes of it, or you don't make the money you thought you were going to make, or whatever. If you have your own idea of what reward you could benefit from doing the amount of stuff you're doing, that's a different thing to somebody else promising you something that can't be promised. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of us can get trapped into that cycle of, this will all be worth it because X. And at the same time, then we'd put up with a lot of things that we wouldn't perhaps put up with because we think there'll be some grand plan in the end. And mm. yeah, this idea that suffering is noble has been around for centuries, that those in the worst positions should be held up as, as these great archetypes of society. Whereas in reality, like Tango said, workers' rights would have been far more preferable than just the promise of an afterlife when you're in the middle of it. But it's regularly tied in with karmic ideas. That's, the, that's mm. why I don't subscribe to karma, because I've yes, seen yeah. zero evidence of it being an actual thing. So yeah. karmic ideas come in uh, coupled with a divine reward system mm. which you know if, if somebody sits down and says no if you're good you'll go to heaven yeah and you go how do you know that and they'll go because i believe that yeah it's like oh, i'm gonna need more than that can i have yeah. a contract yeah no i think you're absolutely right with the karma stuff if you're waiting constantly for your own reward in that it is it is due it will happen then you can waste a lot of time and cause yourself quite a lot of discomfort and unpleasantness in that process, whereas really you could just be getting on with things. And Annette Truby just says, thank you for a great episode. I really enjoyed the in-depth discussion on this one. Thank you, Annette. Good, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Annette. That's all my uh, Matt Ebb special comments. And from the week before, PJ is back and said, just to refer back to what I said about lighthouses, PJ's been on a bit of a lighthouse binge recently, I think. The episode before... PJ said, just to refer back to what I said about lighthouses needing three keepers in the last episode, the rule dates to 1801 following the small lighthouse tragedy in Pembrokeshire. This whole thing with a body lashed to the outside of a lighthouse with an arm flailing. So do look that up if you're in the mood. Maybe PJ just knows about lighthouses. We, let's not assume that PJ has only just learned this information. Oh, no, no. PJ might point. be an absolute expert on lighthouses. Maybe PJ is. Yeah. If you were talking about all your death stuff and all your burial stuff and all that sort of business, it'd be quite insulting if somebody just went, oh, did you learn that last night, did you? Have you been searching no, Google? No, you're, you're right, you're right. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I unreservedly apologise to PJ and PJ's lighthouse expertise. I bet PJ has just Googled it, though. <laughs> Pretty confident. <laughs> but still, they're good facts to know about lighthouse tragedies. But... To cut it short, because of this body stuck to the outside of a lighthouse, from then, right up until the last manned lighthouses in the 1980s, there was a rule that there must be three keepers. P.S. Not saying this will happen to Ian and Kate in Loophole Towers, and Jack Osborne needs to be present at all times. Is it, when, you, when you say a, a rule, is it a rule or a law? Is it just something that lighthouse keepers like to enforce, or is it an actual law that they've got to? Because, I mean, P, if PJ was here now, PJ would be able to just tell us oh, straight yeah, away with yeah. their encyclopedic knowledge of lighthouses. Absolutely. But I'd be interested 
interested to know if it's a rule or a law based on a horror story if they made a law because of it i always wanted to live in a lighthouse i still do in fact i would love to live in a lighthouse i just don't mm. want the admin so i wouldn't want to do all the like i mean i wouldn't want to change the bulb for a kickoff no but <laughs> i would imagine it surely can be done by computers now and i could just live in it but the thing is they're all listed buildings so you'd have to deal with the council I'd have to deal with tourists. Part of it might still be an Airbnb. I'd have to pay for blackout curtains because that would be essential. Exactly. (laughs) I think maybe just downsize to a a windmill for starters. Hazel Quinlan said, RE tarot cards. The way I use tarot cards is if I have a problem or a tricky situation, I'll give myself a reading and use the cards that come up as guideposts to think about the situation in a different way. For example, if I drew the Three of Cups, which can mean community and coming together... I would try to think about how that would relate to my situation. So we briefly touched on tarot cards before, I think, didn't we? I'm confused about that. Say it was an important life decision or what have you. I don't think you can do that on essentially the toss of a coin. Mm. But I personally don't see why you can't just apply that without the cards. Yeah. Or gets a bit dice man for me at that point. I'm I'm not telling Hazel off. I'm just saying... (laughs) Yeah. It confuses me as an idea. Yeah, it sounds a bit like life coaching in a way, doesn't it? But you can have that without the cards. Mm. So I guess in order to put stock in that, you would have to have some inherent belief that there is something esoterotic going on with the cards, that there is mm. something guiding the cards or that the universe yeah. guides it. Or, you know, what, I don't know what the storyline is with tarot cards, but I guess you'd have to have that belief. I think tarot cards in the earliest form, originated from like a 15th century simple like Italian card game. Well, that's it. I'd be resistant to basing life decisions based on something that started as a card game. Yes. Ditto yeah. Ouija boards and all the rest of it. I'd be resistant to put important stock in it. Yes. <laughs> that, yeah. For something that is a novelty item. Yeah. Now, I'm no tarot expert at all. I've only had a handful of readings. But the idea that you have to approach it with a question always kind of stumped me. I've never had one tarot reading Mm. and i'll be able to say that again on my deathbed (laughs) (laughs) i haven't got time for it (laughs) tango of the robes says uh it might be worth looking into lighthouses here we go who do we think this is going to summon there's fertile ground there for spooky stories like the flannan isles lighthouse disappearances a long time ago i read something about the chemicals they used to burn in lighthouses contributing to some form of intoxication or disorientation which gave rise to some spooky tales. As a sceptic, I'm comfortable with, hmm, I don't know, and as we all know, a lack of a definitive answer is an excellent springboard for ghosts done it. Yes. And then PJ comes in and says, apparently back (laughs) back in the 19th century, they used a bath of mercury as a low-friction base for the rotating lens to sit on as it turned. The keepers would regularly come into contact with mercury as they cleaned the lights and the mechanisms, and then health, neurological impacts, blah-de-blah-de-blah, spooky. I may be summarising the last bit. I've changed my mind on PJ. I think PJ actually is a lighthouse A lighthouse expert, expert. yeah. Essentially. Yeah. yeah. PJ, can you tell me the plausibility of me living in a lighthouse? Can you tell me what, what I would need to do? Kate reckons you've got to do council stuff and all that. I'm not convinced. But PJ, as, a, as an expert, can you let me know what I would need to do? And that's all mine. Okay, so I'm going to do it different to how you did it. I'm going to go in order. <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm not going to take people back in time further and further and further. All right. I'm going to start at the beginning of it and just take them up to present day. So Alison Orson said, I first watched Ghostbusters at the age of four. 
believed the PKE meter and other such equipment was real. And even if it wasn't, all someone had to do was invent it. I had definitely grown out of this mindset by the time I was 10, though. Well, well done. That was because we were <laughs> discussing the, my theory of Ghostbusters being the spark that lit the fire yeah. for present day. For where it's got to. Yeah. I was a little bit older when Ghostbusters came out. Um, so I can't claim that I'd grown out of it by the time I was 10. Because I was, think I was 11 or 12 mm. when Ghostbusters came out. I also, I actually went a bit further than that. I tried to invent, I, I drew it. I drew it as a, a prototype mm-hmm. of the proton wand. And it, it was as simple as the machine would drop iron filings into a sideways on Bunsen burner, which would then fire out the sparks from the front. That was as far as I got. And I think a half drew a ghost trap. Yeah. I don't know what the science would have been, whether that would trap a ghost. But let's be honest, it's as much chance as anything else anyone's invented. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I wouldn't obviously now do it. I, 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 again, I should say as a general rule with the Ghostbusters thing, I'm not saying it in a oh you idiots way really no. at all. I'm not I'm I'm just saying sociologically I I believe and have evidence to back it up that that's what's happened. I think yeah. you can see a very tangible through line from Ghostbusters yeah. to where we are now. And I wasn't especially convinced of this until we ended up watching a lot of interviews. I think it was last year with different people in esoterotic fields. Mm. Both skeptics and believers. And I can't believe how many times Ghostbusters came on. Yeah. Here's where I would say, oh, you idiot, a little bit. I don't think they realise quite how incriminating that is. Yeah. I think they're going, oh, I love Ghostbusters, me. And anyway, back to serious business. Now there are ghosts everywhere and you can do yeah. it. And it's like, do you not see that link? Yeah. <laughs> at all? Yeah. It's like when you get people on social media who announce how bad a time they're having and oh my mental health is awful etc 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 and then you go back through their social media and see how aggressive they've been and how angry they've been and how they've jumped all over things all the time mm. and how entrenched within conspiracy and political things that they've been how, how they've lived that life apparently 24 7 and then don't seem to see the link between that and going oh my god i am broken yeah. Anyway, Andy Walker, Envoy from the 90s, especially Dinner Ladies, brackets the sitcom, not the Guardians of the Occult. <laughs> there was a split from the unified paranormal theory in about 96, like the darts. I'm the current champion of the singular esoterotic universe. The kangaroo bout at the circus was only for this title, because I'm proper smart. If the UPTers fancy a unification bout, I'll see them at the Cow Palace in San Francisco. So a- another one there, where someone is just... <laughs> Uh, given the illusion of contributing to the discussion so they can do a bit of their stand-up. <laughs> Brian Ego, episode one of Bowlesworth of the Bailey. Defendants in the dock accused of fraud due to claims about being able to read auras. Bowlesworth brings out human-shaped cardboard cutout, blindfolds defendant. After a short time, removes blindfold. Defendant has to say if there is a person behind the cutout by looking for the ready bright glow of the aura that should show round the sides of the cutout. The exercise is repeated multiple times, with Bowlesworth randomly deciding whether to place a person behind the cutout or not. Defendant scores no better than chance. Crumbles. Another case one for Bowlesworth credits run. It's actually... There, Brian, you're giving me far too much credit, because that's your idea. <laughs> so I can't be wandering out of court going, another case one for Bowlesworth, because that's your idea. But what a fantastic idea it actually is. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's something that is an ongoing disproving of the auras thing if they do just stand people behind cutouts <laughs> and say is there anyone there or not <laughs> oh that'd be satisfying i'll tell you what I, I did find the other week that i meant to tell you about on ebay for the low low price of 39.99 if you don't already have the ability to read auras yeah you can buy this pair of cheap black sunglasses called aura glasses 
and you'll be able to, I quote, see auras instantly. <laughs> there were amazing quotes alongside this beautiful image saying, worked as described. I can even see ghosts with them. Mm. Helpful seller. Saw my aura instantly in mirror. Thank you. Yeah. Amazing glasses. My Reiki students love them. Fast delivery. All those sort of amazing reviews and testimonials could all finally prove no, no, whoa, whoa, that whoa. auras exist <laughs> with free worldwide tracked no, shipping. Whoa. Hang on a minute, go back. <laughs> Worlds of confusion. Dear glorious leader, that's me by the way, and the illustrious Dr. Kate, it's Ooh. taken me 28 episodes to comment. If we're doling out unified theories, can I have one for the meaning of life, please? Something to provide easy and convenient comfort. Kate. Uh, the meaning of meaning life. of life. Uh, uh, crack on. That's it. That's my meaning. I'll say there isn't one. Okay. <laughs> there isn't one. That is as, as plausible as some divine plan. Yeah. I don't know about meaning, but good guideline and um, be nice. Yeah. Try. Try and be nice. Yeah. Uh, and... Tango of the robes. I've never seen Ghostbusters. Please don't kick me off your Patreon. I'm not. That's. I've no problem with you not no? seeing Ghostbusters. I don't. People sometimes say to me, "Oh, I've never seen Star Wars," and then just stand back and look at me. Yeah, like, and I'm like, well, I, don't, I don't care if you have or not. <laughs> it's not an impact on me. People have a weird pride about things like that. Yeah. I don't think Tango was being proud of not seeing Ghostbusters. I mean, if you want to watch it, I think you'd get it relatively easy. Yeah. <laughs> but I can only assume you just don't want to watch it. Rob Hellfire Graves. What I find interesting about unified theory is that it doesn't contradict being an atheist. There's no connection to religion and demons or spiritualism and souls. It even counteracts the nuts and bolts arguments of aliens having to travel millions of light years to get to Earth and other such theories that you're an expert on, Ian. I don't think I've ever said that. I don't think I have. I'm not. I, I don't claim to be an expert on... I'm not an expert on anything. I'm ju I just read why it's happened. Mm. You know, I, th I think because I don't subscribe to any of the beliefs... I just read, well, how do we explain this many people saying this when you've already discounted the idea that it's actually happened? What, what's going on here? That's my interest. I'm not, mm. I'm not an expert. I'm not, I don't think I've ever used the, well, they'd have to travel this many years. I don't, because I don't know. I don't know where they've come from. Well, you're an expert in one thing, the Drake equation. Well, yeah, but that's, a, that's science. That's a, that's a whole different thing. Oh, okay. Thing, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. As a thought experiment, Rob continues, and a fiction, it's really fun to explore and something that hasn't yet been ruined by preachy dinner ladies. However, taking it too seriously does seem to lead to mental health issues, or mental health issues lead to taking it too seriously. In the end, basic evolutionary psychology of being more likely to survive if you see danger where there is none than the reverse, and the human nature to attach a narrative pattern to events explains all this better and simpler, but that's just not as fun as there's monsters everywhere. It, I, I personally do find that as fun. <laughs> or as, certainly as, as interesting. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I've even understood that unified theory. And before you start explaining it, I don't think I want to know. I, I know. I know. It's okay. <laughs> Kevin Moore, the obese trapeze. Does the therapy, because I said that everyone, every listener gets an hour's therapy. <laughs> Does the therapy include physiotherapy? If so, can I claim my hour next week? My physio is on holiday for two weeks. Yep, no problem at all, Kevin. I don't need an hour, actually. Just uh, just keep moving it, mate. Just keep moving it. <laughs> oh, hot water bottle. Hot water but if you bottle. feel any you know, proper pain, you know, do ease off. Don't push through it, but just you know, keep moving it. It'll probably loosen up, What whatever it is. Andy Walker, I've moved now to a new uh, load of comments, by the way. Andy Walker, I think an afterlife of ethereal work, tax, running out of milk and ghostly housework is the most depressing thing I've ever heard. <laughs> also, what's Dr. Kate's bestest grave that you've seen? What's your... Oh, my bestest grave of all... Oh, uh, there's a tiny grave 
um, in Irby in Lincolnshire that on it just says, nameless, be sure your sin will find you out. That is my best grave, thank you. That's quite, isn't that relevant? Yeah. Isn't that, when we, when we talk see, about... Isn't re- she good? We, we, isn't she good? <laughs> no, but we talked about reward-based systems yeah. and faiths. Yeah. And that is just, that's so on the, on the money, that yeah. is. Absolutely. We don't know who this is, so probably deserves it. No, well, Watch how you go. Be careful. <laughs> Behave yourself, all right? Or this could be you. Might be no one in that grave. No, there there is. I, I tracked it, but um, it was... I'm so glad you said tracked it rather than... <laughs> I dug it up. <laughs> oh, I don't want to drag things down. It was um, the grave of an infant. Right. And the body was found... And they don't know who the parents were. And it was a big scandal at the time in rural Lincolnshire. Right. And so the grave was erected. Like, the child was nameless. Okay. But the be sure your sin will find you out was directed at the parents. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was was about to say, was it directed at someone who had caused the death of the child or whatever? You could only discern that, really, from a bit of context. Because it, it is covers quite both bases, I suppose. yeah, it does. It's quite ambiguous. Win win, isn't it? Yeah, win win for the church. Yeah. <laughs> Shane Darrell, I genuinely enjoyed this episode. Lots to consider. Have either of you been to an Irish wake? It's our way of celebrating, remembering, and slagging off the dead while they're laid in front of you. At my granddad's wake a few years ago, all we could do was laugh. Somehow the next day felt a bit lighter, even though his wicker coffin wasn't. I mean, a bit uncouth, a bit inappropriate. <laughs> you, sorry, you laughed. You were laughing, were you? <laughs> At the wake. Um, I've not. I haven't been to an Irish wake, I don't think. No, no, I don't neither. think I know anyone Irish, as in whose funeral that I would go to. Yeah. Sorry, Shane. I mean, I'll, I'll send a card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think all my Irish friends are very much alive, and my yeah. Irish family are very much dead. So I, I was can't... about to say, you're right. Aren't you Irish descent? I was about to say. Oh, that. descent. Yeah. But all, all that side of the family. I, I don't really know anymore. Well, maybe if you shuffle off this morsel coil, heaven forfend, and mm. let's hope it's not like any time soon. But should should that happen, I'll speak to Shane about the best ways of having a great laugh at your <laughs> wake. <laughs> I think there'd be many people queuing up to do Could that anyway. giggle at Kate dead. <laughs> Matt Ebbs. No, no, Matt Ebbs. <laughs> You've had your time now. No, you don't get a comment. I'll say what Matt said briefly. Thank you for this. You've actually swayed my mind on this. The idea of this going on any longer than it has to be is horrifying. So why would I wish it on my loved ones? Excellent episode. Uh, Matt also said there's a short story called The Egg by Andy Weir that puts forward the idea that once we die, we're constantly reincarnated to live the life of someone else in the world across history. Matt said that that sounded appalling. I'm in full agreement for once with Matt Ebbs. <laughs> Jeremy Light, the idea that so many people are removed from death is an interesting one. I'm a dairy farmer, and unfortunately, there's an old saying, where there's livestock, there's dead stock. So Jeremy goes on to say that he deals with death mm. of the livestock a lot. Yes. For lots yeah. of different reasons, you know, for various reasons, illness, etc., etc., etc. But Jeremy said, I always apologise, say I'm sorry to the dead of a dying animal, and tell it I wish I could have done more and tried to think about a massive, never-ending, forever green pasture in another universe where they can live in memory. Regardless of knowing in my heart this was just wishful thinking, it still helps me to express my feelings out loud and picture such a scene to give me closure on any of these situations. I had a fish that died once. I had, a, well, I had several fish die. In a, you know, like Many people had a home aquarium thing that where they all died. Yes. Which I think I would actually put forward, even though I don't have any facts to back this up or figures, mm. that's 
what most people go through who have one of those home aquariums. Oh, absolutely. I, I reckon. Yeah. And also I found out later on that apparently the big chain stores that sell fish, tropical fish and all that sort of thing, they're very badly treated. Mm. They're very badly bred and all the rest of it. So you're on a hiding to nothing anyway. Yeah. It's a miracle if they survive, essentially. Like winning a goldfish at the fairground. Yes, yeah. I also think that's lovely and, and profound, Jeremy. Um, can can you get me a cow skull, please? <laughs> Thanks. Whoa. <laughs> I oh, just, that's horrible. I've got quite a, a lot of sheep and no cow because they're quite big. Well, I, I've got two stories then now. Very, very, <laughs> very quick. When I was very young, I climbed uh, a fell. I think it's a fell. It might be a hill, mountain thing. It's pretty mm. big anyway, called Dent in Cumbria, mm. which has a thing up there called Samson's Rock and legend is, because it's got handprints in it, legend is that Samson threw that rock and that's where it landed, right? Mm-hmm. My granddad really loved stories like that. You know, he was Cumbrian born and bred. And he loved that kind of legend and narrative that's so prevalent up there. Mm. So uh, so anyway, we went up there. And on the way up there, I found loads of dead sheep, as in the remains, as in bones. Yeah, yeah. Loads of them. And because I was in, so into ghost trains, mm-hmm. I was like, this is a load of props. Like I don't know how, yeah. how old I would have been. Yeah. But I was like, this is just loads of props from a ghost train. And I, I carried all these half skeletons and bones and like, I remember my dad like looking at it and going right get them in bleach now <laughs> and they were in a bucket of bleach for ages and it didn't even occur to me that it would be unhygienic or anything like that. Yeah. I had them for years and years and yeah. years but what a weird kind of macabre sinister thing for a child to innocently do yeah. to not go ooh I was like whoa that's their ideal for my ghost train <laughs> that I'm building in this shed um, and on the subject of the fish this is the start of the point I remember when the last one died in that fish tank mm-hmm. of talking to it, of yeah. being, it was like on its side, it was dying for ages and ages. Mm-hmm. And I was trying, really trying hard to euthanise it. I was trying to get myself to the point of going, just kill it, because it's clearly in extreme distress and extreme discomfort. And I just couldn't do it. I no. couldn't get it out of the tank and do that. I know people who could like pick an animal up and break its neck because it was in distress. You know, yeah. they can get over that idea. I, I just couldn't do it. No, and no. just watched it have a slow, horrible death. But I was talking to it all the time. And when it had died, I was like, I'm so sorry, mate. I was doing all that. But it wasn't at all thinking, I hope this finds you somewhere and I hope you have a better life. Because it wouldn't have a better life than what it had at my house. <laughs> yeah, lap a, of luxury, it, it was it? was a great laugh. I gave it loads of cat food. I used to put cat food in it. Oh, Jesus. Didn't, didn't really touch it. But I presume it was off its food anyway, because it, it died soon after I put the cat food in oh, there. God. Dave Doricott, talking about Bessie, who you spoke about last week. Of the purpose of an afterlife, it feels like a carrot on a string dangled to keep us peasant stock satisfied with our lot in life and never question why we're stuck at the bottom strata of society. Economy and jobs in the hereafter, with regards to that. If that's what it's like, I'm off to go kiss some other lads to ensure I definitely <laughs> never end up there. I understand. It's a tale as old as time as an argument, is it? That's, yeah. that's a, a well-known counter-argument, the idea of control. Yes. Tango of the robes. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but there are folk out there who believe in the courts of heaven. Some folk not only believe we have to live under capitalism after death, but also they will be able to take up litigation against others. Some people can never comprehend the idea of rest. My ears pricked up at that because I thought, oh, now hang on a minute, I'm embarking on a career as a barrister. That could be a lot of work. But then I very quickly isolated what the major loophole is for whoever these people are that believe that's a thing. There's a major loophole to that, which is if we're in a heavenly hereafter, in a paradise, etc., etc., that is formed based on a reward system, Mm -hmm. then there will be no need 
for litigation or courts in heaven because everyone through the door has a clean slate. So everyone through the door is ultimately without or forgiven of sin. And you would presume that there would be no sin committed in heaven because it wouldn't be that kind of gig. So every court case would be like, well, they're not guilty, are they? It'd be a very quick cycle through everything, wouldn't it? And also you would have evidence of what had happened. You'd just go, bear with me, Your Honour. God, is it is this right? What this person's saying? Did they do that? No, they didn't do that. Okay, no further questions, Your Honour. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine going up against God as a barrister on the other side. <laughs> Annette Truby, I see the idea of an afterlife as, as an example of the arrogance of human beings. At the end of life, we are so important that we will still live on. We as a species cannot bear the idea that we live once and then are gone. How can that even be a possibility? We're special. I disagree. If I'm anything, I'm a humanist. I believe we should go. We should do good things because we choose to do good things, not because doctrine tells us and threatens us should we fail. Our reward is simply knowing we've made a difference, contributed to society, or simply loved and have been loved. That'll do me. No heavenly prize, no damnation to the inferno. Um, I went through a period of time where I had this theory of it being a narcissistic trait, uh, to not be able to get your head around the idea that you couldn't exist anymore, as in one couldn't exist mm-hmm. anymore, that you felt yourself so important that the idea of you not existing anymore was completely intolerable. Yeah. Which is uh, partly the self as well. So that's partly, well, it's intolerable to me. I don't like the idea of not existing. Obviously, at that point, not recognising the fact that you will have no awareness that you don't exist. <laughs> yes, yeah. See, I don't even agree with... Our reward is simply knowing we've made a difference, not bothered about that. Contributed to society, not bothered about that. Or simply loved and have been loved, not bothered about that either. Yeah. Like, I don't, do you know what I mean? Because again, that is still working on a reward based system. Like you have to achieve yes. certain yeah. things to it's, be it's validated as a human being. Yeah, 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 yeah. Com- completely. So I can't fully subscribe to that, Annette, really. You know, I, I would say generally I'd, I'd try and be a nice boy as and when I'm possible. And ruthless when I'm crossed, but it, it's not for to make a difference. I'm not. Mm. This is a personal thing. I'm not trying to make a difference. Yeah. Nor should I. Anyone feel obliged to make a difference. I mean, you should feel obliged to not make a negative difference, yeah. ruin other yeah, people's existence. But you can just yeah. crack on with your own existence without having to do anything that you, that you're doing for other reasons. If you if you want to do the thing, do the thing. Mm. Add. Uh, I'm just. I'm getting peak curmudgeon, the older I'm getting. Spooks Malloy, really enjoyed this, thank you both. When my grandfather died, after many years of suffering, I remember feeling a strange mix of grief at his death, but also joy that the pain was over. It took me a long time to process this, but I'm comfortable with it now. He said he would be with us in our memories and in the way we dealt with other people. That helps us keep going and tell me that's the greatest way we can live on in death. A similar point, I'm going to combine these two. Rob uh, Hellfire Graves also said, I completely agree that what is comforting to think about for yourself is not the same for your loved ones. I, for one, can't wait for the sweet embrace of oblivion. However, having recently lost one of my closest friends, I can see it would be a comfort to believe they still existed in some way. Funerals are definitely for the living. Their families chose to have a relative only cremation, and without a funeral, I feel like I've not had that closure and often catch myself thinking I should invite that person out, only to remember a split second later that they're no longer with us. P.S. Don't let the dinner ladies and haters grind you down. Um, I think we'll disagree on this, but I have, over the years, dropped the idea of funerals being closure. I don't have that as a thing yes. anymore. Yes, yeah. And I, I no longer feel a commitment to go to a funeral. In fact, I have quite the opposite, where I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't want to go to a funeral. 
Yeah. Which feels selfish within myself. I feel like, well, that's a selfish way of no, being. Yeah. But it, it I don't isn't, know. That the, but... the, the person you're honouring isn't there. Exactly. So it could be argued there's a degree of performative if you go to it when you really don't want to go yeah, to Yeah, it's, it's more just of a, a cultural expectation. It's a, or what would the neighbours think if you yeah, don't go? Yeah, exactly. It absolutely doesn't matter. And to not go because you believe that that would be bad for you mentally or it wouldn't, you know, it's something you, you just would not want to take part in is quite a, a big healthy step, I feel, that a lot more people could benefit from taking. Definitely. But I also believe, because Rob mentioned there the idea that he made the correlation between because he'd not gone to the funeral, mm. that was now thinking, oh, I should invite him out, but because I've not been through the funeral. Yeah. And I, I think that happens whether you go to a funeral yes, or not. Definitely. Yeah. Speaking from my own experience as well, yeah. Yeah. Even long after funerals, I'll, I'll have that moment of, oh, I should tell them, and then, oh, oh, I can't. Yeah. Like, Closure doesn't really ever come, does it? It's just sort of you get used to a different way of living in a way. Yeah. And going back to what Spook said as well about living on in the memory of other people, mm. I couldn't agree with that more, you know. And again, yeah. I don't think it's something that has to be an obligation either. I don't think... I really don't think you have to consistently honour the dead in a performative way. You, you can choose to. Mm. You know, there's people that I've lost who I've carried on speaking about for decades now. And you know, I still talk about them now in my public work as well. You know, I'll say about um, like Molly, my friend Molly, who died, is a great mm. case in point. I've mentioned Molly, I, I think far more in death than I ever mentioned her when she was actually alive. But she was ace. So that was someone else, same as what Rob said, who I even to this day now, however many years it is since she was away, she died very very young, and however many years it is, I still think. Oh, Moll will know. Yeah. When I'm trying to remember something from drama school or whatever. Oh, Moll will know. And then you have that, oh, but Moll's not there. Yeah. Or I think I've not spoke to Molly for ages. I'll, I'll just have that in a, in a dropped guard moment. I must give Molly a call. Oh, like, that happens, certainly. Mm. But yeah, I think we can get very consumed and tied up with what what we should be doing and what we sh- how we should be appearing. And as you say, that's what will the neighbours think. Yeah. <laughs> I know funerals are very much all about performance and the family, but it is a damn good time to actually sit back and go, what am I getting out of this? You can absolutely be selfish at the time of a funeral. I'd say I would insist upon it. As in getting out of it in terms of what help is this in dealing with this horrible situation, you mean? Yeah, in that it's horrible. And if participating helps you or you feel like you want to go, then that's a good choice. And if you feel like you don't want to, not going is just as valid a choice. Absolutely be selfish. Few people mm. are, and they should be. But it's not, but it isn't, it isn't selfish. I don't, I don't think it is. No. It feels like it is, but when you look at it, it isn't. Yeah. It's looking after yourself, isn't it? It's like you are perfectly allowed to look after yourself. Because you, mm. when you are vulnerable, you know, the last thing you should be doing is putting on clothes that don't make you feel good. Go somewhere where you'll feel rotten and... That's part of it. That's part of it for me that I don't know if I'll fit into my trousers. That's definitely part of it. I always have to buy a new pair of shoes because I've always used them. I mean, the shoes I wore at the last funeral I went to mm-hmm. are currently on a Darth Vader mannequin downstairs. <laughs> and it would be a nightmare to get yeah. them off again. And the other bit, and I actually mean this, yeah. even though I'm saying it in a jocular vein, but this is a true thing. I don't want another song ruining for me. Yes. I don't want someone's choice of song for their funeral being ruined forevermore. <laughs> And I know that sounds terribly, terribly selfish, but I've got 
I've got This Monkey Goes to Heaven from Moll's Funeral. Can't li- can't literally can't even listen mm. to that now because that was played. I've got Bridge Over Troubled Water that they played the Elvis version of at my dad's funeral that when that came up in Muppets Mayhem the other day, I was in bits. <laughs> like, it, do you know yeah. what I mean? I can't, I, I can't have it. I'm not having another song ruined. <laughs> and don't anyone tell me what song was at someone's funeral. I don't want to know. Uh, final comments, Stuart Smith. When I was a preteen or maybe just 13, 14, I had incredible problems with the idea of death and what comes after. I, it used to keep me awake at night with stomach-churning anxiety. And at the time, I clung to what I'd been brought up to believe in church and Sunday school, which was Church of Scotland, while not really believing in it. Then I had something of a revelation that it would just stop. It would be like going to sleep and not dreaming. And there was nothing scary about that. I think I quickly stopped going to the young person's evening club at the minister's house, even though I missed the snacks. And that was it. For me, with a religion, I think I think it's a teen tendency. By the way, mm. I think in certain in certain people, it's a teen tendency to have early existential crisis. Yes, I yeah, think definitely. I potentially did, but I was the other way. I was like regularly voicing. I mean, in another world, I should have been a goth. I was regularly <laughs> voicing a desire to not live beyond twenty, or you know yeah. that sort of thing. Oh, I was I obsessed with death. Absolutely obsessed with yeah. death as a child. But there's other people as well. Like I went out with the last one of my very first girlfriends had this thing. She banged on about it all the time about how she was necrophobic. I can't sleep at night because I'm necrophobic. She'd obviously heard the phrase necrophobic yeah. somewhere, <laughs> and then that was what she was. Yeah. And it was very performative. It was constantly brought up. It was her thing. Mm. And my eventual conclusion to that was like, if you actually are necrophobic, then you shouldn't act in a way that makes everyone who comes into contact with you want to kill you. (laughs) (laughs) You should should be just avoiding that at all costs, really. (laughs) She was kind of objectionable. And and I, you know, say that as someone who is also kind of objectionable, but just in a different way. Yeah. (laughs) There's the comment. Should we crack on? I'm going to have to edit them down, aren't I? That's ridiculous. Yeah, there was a lot. That was a wall. Hey, if you're leaving a comment, please do leave a comment. Just slightly... Slightly rein them in on the length. <laughs> very, very long. If you can. If you can. I don't want you to have to make concessions when you want to express something, but yeah. Well, I've got a lovely topic to discuss that will calm you right down. Right. Let's see if that's true. Welcome to Loopholes, episode 30. Right, so I think it's about time that we had a nice little chat about time travel. <laughs> so... Okay. Well, sh- actually, should we go back to the comments and make them a bit longer now? No. Because this is going to be over in seconds. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not time travel broadly. It's time slips. Oh, right. So time slips are kind of sudden and, and brief moments of, of time travel. I see. Where someone will be, you know, walking in a particular place, say, let's, let's say Piccadilly Circus. Right. And it will be... 2023 and they'll turn a corner and suddenly oh it's the 1940s <laughs> for like a few minutes and then suddenly back to 2023 and they're still in Piccadilly Circus and yeah. there have been accounts of this <laughs> down the centuries is this just somebody just walking past a retro <laughs> shop or a vintage outlet <laughs> people just wandering the back of film sets going oh time yeah is there a lot of accounts of this at bygone times <laughs> Yeah, and there, there were these people there with their arms full of Star Wars toys complaining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. it was... Um, there's, there's been plenty of these. And they continue to be 
reports of time slips, some in the same areas. So we seem to have like time slip hotspots. When you say there's reports, just one thing at a time here, when you say there's a lot of reports of this. Yes. Like if I went in the garden mm-hmm. in a bit. Yes. And then had a time slip. Yes. Right. To whatever it was a hundred years ago. Yeah. And then time slips back to present day. Mm-hmm. No one would know about that apart from me. Yes. So where where would I get that information out? So if if I decided where and why, by the way, if I decided, Mm-mm. right, everyone needs to know about this. Yes. Where where are they going to to give these reports? Who they, I presume it's not the police. I presume they're not ringing nine nine nine. Also, the amount of police that get contacted in esoterotic matters yeah, is, yeah, yeah. is, is yeah. plentiful. So there's that, there's, you know, people that go to authors, people that have gone to newspapers, obviously. And so let's let's just go into what a time slip is. No, it, no, <laughs> let's just stay, okay. let's stay on that point because okay. I think it's really important. This is a big part of this, of all of this. It's a big part of it. Okay. Where are they going? Who to? Why? What do they benefit from it? What do they not benefit from it? All the other, you know, because the the easy way of saying is, well, they could benefit financially through it's a paper. They could benefit negatively because people would think they're a lunatic. Mm. You know, all, all these things come into play. But the first instance of making it public, like, I can't get a like on a tweet about my Patreon. How, how are these things gathering traction yeah. with credible news reporting... If indeed they are, are they being reported credibly in credible news reports or are they literally popping up in some weekly magazine? Well, the ones that I noted down the from my little scribblings and readings were from paranormal like encyclopedias and occult mm. reference books from kind of the 70s, 80s and early 90s. I did a cursory search earlier and they, they have been happening less and less since the advent of smartphones, leading to the argument of people are so engrossed in their phones they wouldn't know if they were walking through 19th century Amsterdam. Right. But then also, then we, when it comes to smartphones... And the downside of that is they can't even get hit by a car, which is what I would wish for. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, with, with, as I was saying, with smartphones and things like that, that and time travel, that is like a whole field online at the minute. Pictures that reportedly show people using... Mobile phones in the past. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. yeah, I've seen that sort of thing. Yeah, so that's... But that isn't a time slip. That's just people not understanding what a book looks like when it's painted. Well, it's pareidolia, isn't it? It's a very basic pareidolia, that. That's people yeah. seeing what they want to see based on the knowledge that they have within their life already. If they hadn't seen a phone yeah. in their lives and then they saw that picture, they wouldn't be wondering what that thing was. No, they'd presume it was... A book or something, something previously. Else. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something that it could have been. Yes, exactly. And a lot of it as well is our own historic ignorance. So, you know, if right. something looks a bit odd, we'd go, oh, alien, instead of thinking, oh, actually, I know nothing about this country or this time period. Yeah. So maybe it is easily explained by someone who knows what they're on about. Yeah, you get a lot of that. You get a lot of reporting with facts, in inverted commas where people say, it couldn't be this because they didn't have that then. or And it's like, yeah, but did, did they have something that looked like it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot of it's to do with haircuts and fashion. Right, okay. So well, like, oh, well, they didn't have haircuts like that in the 19th century. And then you look back and you go, plenty did. It's just, you're kind of doing a, yeah. a bit of inadvertent cultural racism, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 
So go on, so get back on topic after I've took you off it slightly. But relevantly, I believe. Go on. Okay, so time slips. People who believe in them believe that this is kind of because they happen because time itself isn't linear. So So this is going to be about moving about within time. Because I was getting quite optimistic when you said time slips. I thought it was going to be a pair of knickers with a clock on it. (laughs) (laughs) Well... It, it could be if you just zone out for a bit, I imagine. Yeah. I found this interview with this astronomer called Fred Hoyle, who said, everything that was and will exist happens all the time. So past and future is an illusion. Like, everything is happening all at once. Yeah. And our perception of time is, is kind of like a focus and a failing, really, of our consciousness. And that we impose this mechanism and this chronology to time we're trying to make time linear when it inherently isn't and these sort of arguments are backed up by by people that say well look at black holes where time collapses time is destroyed because gravity is so intense thus proving that time isn't linear and isn't immovable can we go back to talking about death like we did last week (laughs) (laughs) basically our limited consciousness can only comprehend time as present and linear we can't get our heads around that multiple things could be happening at once so from like a quantum viewpoint particles arrive at their destination before they've started right time slips rely on us going oh this is a bit complicated isn't it (laughs) you know well that's the issue i think with this kind of thing is that i don't in principle i don't have well i'm not capable to give the argument to whether things are all happening at the same time because I don't know, you know, yeah. theory of relativity, all those sorts of things, mm-hmm. or alternate existences and all that. I don't, I, I, I've got no idea and I couldn't disprove it with scientific facts because I don't know most of the words that they're using. Yeah. But to put it into just layman's terms, in principle, it's like, well, I don't, I don't know if that's plausible or not. I've, I've got no idea if that's backed up in science. Yeah. But I, I don't mind <laughs> either way if that's the case. <laughs> The bit where I end up having a sticking point is when people say, here's the science, etc., etc., this plane, that plane, this is what happens, here's the theory of relativity, here's the idea that, uh, the concept and idea that there is a, a another existence happening elsewhere, that there are uh, infinite existences of the same rough catalyst happening elsewhere, all that, I've no issue with any of that. Mm-hmm. Where I go, hang on a minute, is when people go, and someone has gone from one to the other one. <laughs> That's where I go, no, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) Speaking of of loopholes and Einstein, like the the general theory of relativity, people have used this theory to kind of apply to time slips in a very quick and then let's move on kind of way. Yeah. Because if you try and apply the theory of relativity to time slips, the way it feeds in nicely is that... E equals MC squared. (laughs) It's that... If you travel faster than the speed of light, you'll be mm. able to travel back in time. Yeah. So that's wheeled out a lot. Like, uh, excuse me, time travel can happen because of this. And also, we're not too sure about the physical properties of time, as far as I know. But in order to travel faster than the speed of light, it would kind of require an infinite amount of energy, which mm. isn't actually possible. Right. <laughs> At the minute, maybe in the future, we harness all the energy in the world and that's ultimately how we die trying to get back to liverpool in the 1700s well the concept of time that you spoke about even though i don't think this would be applied in the same way but the the concept of time there are very broad strokes with that where you can go well if you do a long-haul flight you can technically go back in time Mm. 
because that understanding of time as in what's the time yes yeah. it's a human construct you could leave at 12 o'clock on a thursday and land at maybe i don't know what where this would be but eight o'clock on a thursday morning yes so you have sort of gone back in time but you've not you've just cheated a clock yes is, is, is all you've done but also a very famous thing happened in the 70s which was well documented where a bloke uh, flew around the earth really fast i presume at the speed of light yeah and basically knocked the earth off its axis so that yeah. went back in time and he saved lois lane yeah, yeah. stopped her from having a crash <laughs> so there's that as well so there are things yeah. that i couldn't argue against oh absolutely well, I mean, well documented yeah that is I, i've seen it myself i can't explain it it's phenomenal work. but putting aside the construct of time yes as in clocks mm-hmm. putting that to one side because we can all make a technical argument about that if we forget that time as in what time is it exists mm. and just look at existence the idea of going back to a previous part in your existence mm. i can't fathom get my head round and if i was doing it i certainly wouldn't set, i certainly wouldn't set my phone and if i did set my phone i certainly wouldn't try and make a phone call <laughs> Exactly. Well, this leads into all those time travelling. I'm going to phone the future. Yeah. Like, oh, this bloke was in 1670 using a phone. Who is he ringing and how? How is he charging it? Yeah. Where is he getting a signal from? Who else has got a phone? Do all the time travellers just have this WhatsApp group together and the internet? Is that what they're stating? Is that they've not slipped time slips by accident? They well, yeah, that's are meant to that's be there, more, and they have yeah, that's more argued a way of corresponding yeah with deliberate time travel rather than time slips that seem to be people who are just walking along the street, and then for a minute or two they're somewhere else before suddenly coming back yeah you know they're not deliberately going out into the field to do time traveling research. Well, there's the other thing, the very very well trodden out idea that time travel can't exist because if it did ever exist we would already be aware of it because it would have been back to this time. Now, you get clever clogs as you'll go, no, 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 you've not understood what time travel is, if that's what you think. And to those people, I say, no, 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 neither of you. (laughs) (laughs) You're just making up rules to suit your argument. But along with that, you'll get people say, no, people have done, they just, they can't make people aware of it. They just can't, because you'll alter the space-time continuum. Yeah, it's that butterfly effect. Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And to those people, I say, you really liked Back to the Future as a kid, didn't yeah. you? And they go, yeah, 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 I did. I go, well, that's why you're into this. Yeah. <laughs> Same as all them other lunatics over there that are into ghosts because of Ghostbusters. The 80s film industry has a lot to answer yeah. for. <laughs> it really does. But before that, like Mark Twain wrote a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court in 1899 that was a guy that suddenly time-travelled and found himself back in the reign of king arthur and tried to change things like tried to get like better rights for the peasants and ended up realizing that merlin was a fraud and all of this so that must have influenced a generation as well in terms of the possibilities of time travel but again that was travel rather than slip it's just a cool idea in it so it's a fantasy idea Mm. it's a oh if only when people go, oh, I wish I could go back and change that. I wish I could, oh, I wish I'd love to go back to that and experience that again. It's just all those things that have then somehow gathered such momentum that people are like, well, you potentially can. 
Yeah. And this could, you know, it's like, well, no, that's science fiction. Yeah. But I suppose with... with... And it's come about because of that idea, like trapping ghosts. So yeah. It's come about from an idea yeah. of something. Wouldn't it be great if you could do this? And before you know it, you're a few generations later and people are going around saying you can. There's people I know who are still sulking about there not being hoverboards yet. Yeah. <laughs> Kids and stuff who'll go, oh, I wish I could fly like Superman. I wish I could do that. Mm. And it's like, well, you can't. And you never will be able to, <laughs> ever, let that go. You can't. Now, most people aren't, well, not most. I don't believe there is a society of people, mm. as in a faction of people, a club, who think you can. Who are like, no, you can. You can actually fly. We can fly. Yeah. You just can't because you don't believe in it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's an idea in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, very famously. It's an idea Douglas Adams had of the idea that... Um, if you're falling, mm. you need to forget you're falling. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, this is played out in the book. Yes. Yeah. So, you've got to take your mind off the fact you're falling. And if you take your mind off the fact you're f- falling, you will stop falling. <laughs> but in some way that the mind is controlling the fall. Yeah. So, so you're cheating science and you can fly because you forget that you're falling. Which is a lovely idea, yeah. and it's very lovely in terms of how it's integrated into the stories in Hitchhiker's Guide. But it's not real. <laughs> Same yeah. as I like Back to the Future, but it's not going to happen, mate. <laughs> well, I, I find it interesting in a lot of these time slips. So, Well, I'm, a lot of the accounts that I've read of, of time slips recently, no one in them has actually done anything. Like, they didn't go, oh, suddenly I'll I'll nick this or punch anyone or... Yeah. It's always just been really disconcerting for a few minutes or a few seconds, and then they're out. So it's just a memory of being in a space. Well, I guess they don't know if they're going back. So they can't just commit crimes and things. They can't just rob stuff. Well, exactly. Because they don't know <laughs> when they're going to go back. Yeah. I mean, I've got a further theory on this, by the way, mm. which is people that claim they've had time slips are people that are obsessed with time travel who can't be bothered to do the research. So they're not even going to build a, a DeLorean or yeah. a TARDIS. They're not going to even do that or even look at how that would be possible. They're going, well, I can't do the science, so I'll say it just happened <laughs> when I was going about my business. But I was trying to look at, at ways of people that felt like this was about to happen, like how they knew a time slip was about to happen. Some of them, yeah. there was a historian called Arnold Toynbee who was in Greece meditating on the, the Battle of Phosalsus. I've no idea how you pronounce this, Pesalsus, which was in 197 BC. And a heavy mist came in around him. And then he found himself watching the massacre of the Macedonian army by the Romans. Like he was watching what other people have referred to as like a phantom (laughs) battle, which in itself is like a whole field in Esoterotica, phantom battles. But he saw it and then he came out of it. But like we've said before, with like window areas and areas that have this propensity for for esoterotic activity. Arguably the biggest one in the UK for time slips is Bold Street in Liverpool. Oh, there's loads of skag edges. <laughs> so many reports um, from in here. What The most famous one, arguably, is from July of 1996, when an off-duty police officer was walking up Bold Street to meet his wife, who was in a bookshop going to buy... Train spotting, which I always find quite a nice right. detail they've put in there. Yeah. And realised that he was suddenly in this dead spot of quietness. And he saw a 50s 
van drive past. Yeah. And the bookshop yeah. that he was standing outside was now not a bookshop. It was Crips, which was like a ladies' outfitters. And he looked around yeah. and everyone around him was dressed in like 1950s gear. But he saw a girl who was still dressed like it was the 90s with a Miss Selfridge bag. Right. And he followed her to this Crips place where she suddenly stopped because it was the bookshop again. And she said, oh... I thought this was a new shop. I was going to go in and look at the clothes and then just left. And so... Yes, um, and was this... You know, I said earlier about where these things are reported. Yes. Was this in court? <laughs> was this was this an alibi for why he was following that girl? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then suddenly all the glue bags had gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, I've, I've condensed that down a lot, but that's one that comes up over and over and over again with the Bold Street stuff. Yeah. And because of the, the high frequency of time slips in Bold Street, loads of people have tried to offer up explanations, not just glue, <laughs> you know, as to why this would be happening. And some people have said because there's there's like a subway beneath Bold Street in Liverpool that runs in yeah. concentric circles. And that constant electrical movement may generate an energy beneath Bold Street that then leads to more time slips. Another explanation for time slips that I've seen, especially in a lot of the Liverpool stuff, is although these time slips are brief, thousands of people go missing every year and aren't found. So, mm. could they be trapped in the past? I'm, I'm going to say yes for an easy life. Okay. <laughs> yes, they could. And when you say about are there any consistencies in the people that say this has happened to them, I would put forward that some of the consistencies would be they're bored and they don't feel like they're getting enough attention in life. <laughs> well, I think it's a lovely idea and I'd like to experience a time slip, please. Thank you. I'm still going to have a bash. I'm going to nip up to Liverpool now and see if I can travel what, in time. Well, honestly, what, what you do in your personal life is entirely up to you. <laughs> so that was Loopholes, episode 30, the comment and time slip extravaganza <laughs> please do get in touch have you looked through a window into the past let us know and you can do so via many means you can contact us on patreon at patreon.com forward slash ian boldsworth at patreon.com forward slash burials and beyond you can find us on facebook at loopholes podcast on instagram at loopholes pod on twitter at loopholes pod and you can send us an email at loopholespodcast at gmail.com. I'm also anticipating people leaving comments, like Clever Clogs people who know about this sort of thing, about time travelling, you know, about different time mm. planes and all that sort of thing. I'm anticipating people explaining to me how that works, which is fine. Keep it brief. <laughs> Keep it brief and clear. Because I will just stop reading. It's, that's no reflection on you. I will stop reading if I don't understand your first sentence and I see there are 40 more sentences <laughs> underneath it. <laughs> Meanwhile, I actively struggle to tell the time. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. I've been Ian Bowlesworth. I've been Kate Cheryl. We shall see you again in a bit. Bye-bye. Loopholes is an Infinite Hermit production in association with Burials and Beyond with Kate Cheryl and Ian Bowlesworth. Music by Thomas Funderay, produced by Ian Bowlesworth. Mm-hmm.